Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Talking Adapted PE Podcast, where we connect with an adapted PE teacher who is doing fantastic work in our field. This week, we have a National Teacher of the Year in Jen Hebing from Minnesota. She and I first connected a few years ago over COVID when we would share resources back and forth. And once I started the podcast, I just knew I had to get her on. In this episode, Jen's passion really comes through, especially when she talks about her unified PE program. You can catch Jen on Twitter at Jen Hebing and on TikTok at Mrs. Hebing adapted PE where she shares a ton of great resources that'll be really helpful to you. She's also going to be presenting at Shape Seattle next month. So if you're going to the Shape America conference in Seattle, be sure to catch her there. Lastly, I just want to thank those of you that have reached out on Twitter and other forms giving me feedback for the show. I love hearing it. I love bringing the show to you. So if there's anything you want to be talked about on the show, be sure to connect with me. The best way to do that is on Twitter at Chris Aarons and I look forward to hearing from you. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome to our latest episode of the Talking Adapted PE podcast. I have Jen Hebink with us today, who I'm really excited to have a conversation with. Jen, welcome to the show. Hi, so good to be here. Thanks, Chris. Absolutely. So Jen and I first connected, as basically all my guests have, uh, Twitter, but we connected during COVID and we're sharing resources back and forth when we were all trying to learn how to teach on Zoom. Uh, this is our first time actually talking in person, so we're both really excited about it. Jen, why don't you just give the audience uh, the little bit of background about yourself, where you teach, what you do, that sort of thing. Yeah, so I am from the Twin Cities in Minnesota, so I teach just about 40 minutes west of the Twin Cities outside of Minneapolis in a town called Buffalo, and it's the Buffalo Hanover Montrose School District, and I teach at the secondary level, so grades 6 through 12 full-time adapted PE, and in Minnesota, we call it DAPE, Developmental Adaptive Physical Education. I have a caseload of about 50-ish students, give or take, depending on the year. I would say, so this is my 13th year. I'm in my 13th year of teaching, and it's been really an amazing experience. And are you itinerant, or are you at one school site? I'm in two schools, so I'm considered itinerant. 50 kids across two schools, that's a lot per school, quite honestly, compared to what I'm used to. Yeah. Why don't you explain to the audience, what does your caseload look like then? What kind of disabilities do you predominantly serve? So most of my caseload, I have students with autism and intellectual disabilities. And that I would say is the majority of my caseload. I would also service, I have students with physical impairments. I have students with brittle bone. I have students with severe multiple impairments is what we call it in Minnesota, where we have two or more of the the giving categories for a disability. Students who are blind, I've serviced. It sounds really similar to, to what I hear in San Diego because I'm on a comprehensive secondary site as well, high school, and predominantly intellectual disability and autism for me. And I don't know if you've listened previously, but you may have heard me mention that in San Diego, we actually only have two designations. It's three. I catch myself every time. It is three. I just don't serve the one. But we predominantly have two designations within our special education of mild, moderate, and moderate, severe where you are in Minnesota, how how do you break it up? So in Minnesota, we do have that mild, moderate, and we do have severe profounds. From, so that would be like the intellectual disabilities and also sometimes under the, the autism spectrum disorder if they're underneath the intellectual disabilities category. We also have those different categorical labels of deaf and hard of hearing. We have 
blindness, visual impairments. So we just have like a category for everything else. So when you are evaluated for special education services, you have to be under the category of some of those things in order to receive services. Right. Like one of those 13 designations that is typically on the front page of an IEP. You have to fall on one of those. Talk us through what does an assessment process look like for you? And I think when we think of PE, there's at least an adapted PE, there's two types of assessment. You can have your daily ongoing assessment, or you can have an assessment across a unit. But I know from my credential program coming through, that wasn't the focus of our assessment. The focus of our assessment was more on these standardized tests and determining eligibility. And one thing I've realized from these conversations is it's just different everywhere. And and, and there are some benchmarks, you know, if an individual falls in the, the lowest 7%, or if they're 33% chronological age below their peers, or one and a half standard deviations, but what does that assessment process look like for you? So the assessment process for us in Minnesota looks like when a student is the, the FIAD teacher says, Hey, there's something going on here. We need to have some interventions in place to see if, if we can just hit their, their need with the intervention, right? Response to intervention. If we have, I believe two, or, I want to say it's three inter, three interventions and um, we continue to see that need, then we go through the, the special education evaluation process in which DAPE adapted PE is a part of. From there, we need to identify if the student is eligible, right? So we have the, we can either use one standard-based evaluation process in which we look at the data and if they fall, you know, 1.5 standard deviations below the average or the the mean or whatever, then that student would qualify. You could present that as your eligibility eligibility or you what we call in Minnesota. And so those B2 items could be anything like a parent interview or classroom observation, file review, a record review, staff interview, parent interview. So we can either use the standard base or we can use two of those to identify uh, if they're going to be receiving DAPE services. So that's kind of where we go from there. And that that's, you know, a 30-day process. And then from there, we get their IEP written and we are doing progress report between three and four times a year. One written and, nope, three written and one IEP meeting, obviously. And so from there, we reassess, hey, do we need to rewrite that goal? Do we need to update? Usually there's a uh, an updating of goals and services and such. And so we have the opportunity to kind of, as a team, once we have that data in place, say this this student would benefit from DAPE services. And so that is how we kind of go about our evaluation process. I really like how you laid that out for everyone listening. I, I want to jump back to something interesting you said. You said it's a 30-day timeline. It's actually, so in, in San Diego and California, ours is a 60-day timeline. So that's interesting to compare and contrast a little bit. I am curious if you have a favorite assessment and I, when I say this, I'm sure you've probably created something. I know you're really creative. I'm actually, I'm curious though. I'm like the official assessments. Do you have a favorite, like of the officials that we all know about? So honestly, like my caseload has, is usually by sixth grade is so stable that I don't mm-hmm. do a lot of initial evaluations actually. So my favorite, like I, I don't use the bot two or any of that because it doesn't give me the information that I want. Like I want to know how the student is moving in class. And that gives me the best data to present at those 
meetings because it allows me to see them next to their peers. I know that a lot of DAPE teachers, adaptive PE teachers will use those, you know, like the APs or the BOT2 or the TGMD3. I want to say at the elementary level, they use a lot of the TGMD3. And we do have preschool adapted PE. I want to say they've been using the APs. For me, my go-to have been the classroom observations, the parent interviews, and the staff interviews, because I feel like those give me exactly what I need. It's it's interesting to hear you talk about it because here we are so many thousands of miles apart, and I just am nodding my head yes for since everybody can't see. The secondary level is really difficult, in my opinion, when it comes to not assessing, because as you point out, there's ways to do it so you can paint a clear picture for the parents, without a doubt. Yes. But on the legal side of identifying assessments that are standardized and appropriate for our populations at the secondary level, it's really difficult. And I know the C-tape is out there, but you hit certain levels with the C-tape and the C-tape gets really hard. Right. And then the AMSAT's out there. And I don't know if the creator of the AMSAT even listens to this, but I've gotten some really wonky results given the AMSAT. And I know that that's basically the TGMD for secondary. And I think if you reach out to someone like a Melissa Bittner, who is really dialed in on assessments, they would, they question the validity of the AMSAT, I believe, or maybe I, maybe it's a reliability. It's one of those stat words that I probably don't have correct. It is really hard at this secondary level. So it's interesting to hear you talk about, you know, really wanting to get that clear picture of the child and be able to present that to the parents. And you brought up parent interviews, which is great. Can you maybe just list like a question or two that you think really gives you a lot of information that the parent comes back with that maybe the listeners would find helpful? Yeah, there are a couple that I really just dig and love getting back with the feedback. Then the first one has to do is what is your greatest concern for that student when it comes to the gross motor needs? That's going to get me the clear picture of what they're worried about. And a lot of times that leads me to the goal that I would like to write because that's what they want to see out of their son or daughter. The second one, when I do those parent interviews, is I want to know what they're doing in the community. So telling me so-and-so, how do, oh, how do we get our heart rate up outside of school? That's another one that I ask because usually it's like biking or dancing, or if I get the the answer, well, they don't do anything. That gives me some data to say, hey, we got to work on some things on school at school because when we're done at school, you're going to go home and not have any of those connections to the community or just being able to get their heart rate up, right? Simple going for a walk, dancing, biking, swimming. And then the last one that I ask is, what do you like to do to be social? Because when we have those social connections in our community, that allows us to have those friends, have those, the gyms and things that our students can go ahead and be a part of. So then they have those connections to the community outside of school. Those are great questions. Do you have a service in your district that can translate those for you for maybe families where English is not their spoken language in the house? We do. We have translators. I will say Buffalo is less diverse than the average. We're out kind of in the country a little bit. We're more rural. So it is generally not a big thing, whether unless you were like in Minneapolis, I know they use translators all the time. So that would be, that would be something that that would maybe be difficult, but uh, I would get that to the translator and they would be able to do uh, the work on that for sure. One thing I see when I talk to people from around the country in our field 
oftentimes the adapted PE service is treated like a class. And so if there's a self-contained classroom, that entire class just goes to the adapted PE teacher and that's that's their PE. And, and there can be benefits to that. that. That's not the point of the question of where I'm going. But the, I for sure in my self-contained classes have kids that do not need my service and general PE is most appropriate for them. And so my department, we're always saying to our general PE teachers and our admins that we are a service, not a placement, and we can serve them anywhere. We can serve them in general PE. We can, if they need small group instruction, we're absolutely there for that. No doubt about it. Um, And I'm really proud of the work that we've done as a department in San Diego to kind of shift that conversation. And we do support quite a few of our students within that general PE setting and then provide small group when it's necessary. But where you are, what does adapted PE look like for you on your caseload? The service itself, how you're administering it? Yeah, the service itself probably sounds a lot like what you just said for your district that you've been working on. I can service my students in pretty much any setting. So what it could look like is I could take a student one-on-one. I could take a student in a small group. I could take a student and push into the mainstream. I could have a unified PE class where I'm servicing, which is where my heart's at really a lot right now. It's been really great in Buffalo. So, and then the last way that we can do it is if a student is maybe just not quite needing so much direct service help, we can be a consult service, but we're still working on a goal. So no matter what service you have, you are always working on a goal for adapted PE. So I, and usually it's like 20 minutes of service, unless they're coming into the unified PE class, I still set their IEP minutes as like 20 minutes direct and 10 indirect, because if they switch out of the unified PE class, then, you know, we still are covered on our, on our IEP services. It was interesting to hear you say 20 direct versus indirect. So the hours on our IEP, we list year as a yearly number, actually. Mm. So we don't list them as a weekly or a daily. We list them as a yearly. And our, our thinking with that, and it, it's coming from legal guidance. It's not just that our department decided that. Our thinking with that is that let's just say we do have to miss for a week or whatever it is. Yeah. We're covered for a year. We could do a makeup and we're still good. If we start getting specific on the daily or weekly amounts and you miss a week, uh, our legal department said we could we could be in a little bit of hot water. And I also enjoyed hearing you listen, how you delineate yours, because I I will do something similar is I will say that we are pushing into general PE for this amount of time. And then they're receiving small group instruction, another amount of time. Can you maybe describe for the listeners? What does your IEP look like? I don't need a box by box description. What I mean, though, is when you list your hours on the IEP, what does that look like? And then where are you listed? Like for us, that's on the front page. We would say adapted phys ed or adapted phys ed collaboration or adapted phys ed consultation. There's a drop down for us. And I know everybody uses different systems. So if you could maybe just explain what your IEP looks like a little bit. Yeah, we're on SPED forms. So what that looks like is uh, the background information of a student would be on the front page. So it's not necessarily any services yet, or if it's in the, the present level that starts on the front page, maybe. We have our services kind of listed in what we call the service grid, kind of in the middle of the IEP. So I'm listed right next to the special education teachers, next to the OTPT, physical impairment teacher. So our our services are right there with everybody else's. And I would say, Chris, I am kind of moving back to putting my service time per year in there. 20 minutes direct, 10 indirect. 
52 times per year because of the same reasons that you said is that, you know, if we're out at a conference or if we have sick kids or something and I only have, I, I think I mark mine six times per month. And sometimes there's only six times per month that I see them because, you know, if it's winter break or something. So I'm also kind of shifting back the yearly service numbers. It's the same amount of time. It's just how we delineate it, right? What about when it comes to your IEP goals? Do you do anything creative to track those? Are you super techie and your your Google Forms in it? Or are you a pen and pencil? Are you an Apple pencil? How, how are you tracking your goal progress for your kids? I feel like I'm all over the board. In one building, I'm really good paper pencil because it's just the easiest way to just observe and write down really quick and any updates I can write in right in there. And then when I'm doing progress sports, I just open the binder and there it is. Building, I am doing more Google forms. I am doing observations that you take from their workout logs that they've and just picking the individual work. So I'm kind of all over the board on that. But I feel like at the middle school, I am way more paper pencil. Goals are so interesting to me too, because we're asked to choose a hyper-specific thing that we want to work on for a year. And I don't know if this is true for you, but I expose my kids to an entire curriculum of activities. And I and yeah. I know the conversation that goals drive hours and goals drive instruction. I, I understand all of that, but it just, it is such an interesting process to me that we choose these very specific things to work on when we're exposing our kids to so many different things. I don't know if you feel the same way, but it's just really interesting to me. Yeah. I, I always think about how can I hit all the things that I want to teach them, but also it's important for them to have that goal because we want to progress in that area. And so how can I present my curriculum with their needs and hit all the things? Right. That's exactly right. A huge part of our teaching is that we know our students are, they have diverse styles of learning. We know that. And we, yeah. we use the term a lot of times they're kinesthetic learners and they're, vi they're visual learners. Do you, do you use a lot of visuals in your teaching? And if you do, do you get them from a specific place that our listeners might benefit from learning about? So in one of my buildings, I have accessibility to the technology in a, an LCD projector. So what I've built up over the past couple of years, actually probably since COVID, is virtual classrooms that I like I've taken a picture of my gym and then I do a visual schedule. One, two, three, four. One is stand on your spot so I can take attendance. Two is our warm up. We do like a circle warm up. So like squats, jumping jacks, all that stuff together. And then three is always core strength. And then the fourth, I always change. And that's where I add a visual of like the parachute or we're doing overhand throwing. So I use like my bitmojis <laughs> and it's like me giving instructions, but it's the visual of me doing those things. So that's how I initially start off. And then once I get to number four, I usually use animated gifts of myself doing the activities. And that's been such a game changer for me because after I, so I heard a, I walked into a session. It was, it was a game changing session for me with Randy Spring. He's an elementary teacher, actually central district teacher of the year this year. And he was, uh, he was teaching about animated gifts and how I just like changed the way he teach taught so it's img play is the app and you just upload the video 
from there you can edit it to you know put words on it and then it just keeps going and going and going so now instead of me like over and over saying this is what we're doing remember those cues i can just point to the board and say hey remember get low swing back swing forward and like they're all up there visually so then i have a, a easier time just walking around the room and saying hey let's check are we doing these things so it allows me to be kind of frees me up as a teacher to really support them in their learning in that way. So that's what I use at the middle school. At the high school, I don't I, I have technology, but it's just not convenient to use it. And so I have a whiteboard with a few like our, our learning targets. I write, but I also do like stick figures. I have a visual of the rate of perceived exertion. I have visuals of what your heart rate should be doing when it's up and when it's down. And I have visuals. I will write like the cues that we're using. So step, swing back, swing forward. Also at the middle school and the high school in Unified, I use peer, peer modeling with our peer mentors, which instead of peer mentors, I'm starting to use peer partners because we're using uh, partners for students without disabilities and teammates for students with disabilities and we're leading each other. So it's inclusive leadership. So those are kind of the visuals. So I just give them different ways to see, to hear, to move and, and get the instruction that they need for the day. Gifts are game changers. I had a student teacher one year and I was like, if you're comfortable, I want to make all these gifts of you doing the various things. Yes. And the only hard part in San Diego is we're outside so much. And so if you have it, even if you have an iPad or a tablet of some kind, just when the sun is bright, listen, I know it's a San Diego problem. I get that for everyone listening here. I am talking to you in Minnesota with a frigid winter. I understand, but it's just, they're hard to see though, is all I was going to say. Yeah. But that, that I, that's a first world problem for us. Yeah. Listening to you describe how gifts have changed your teaching and you can go, it allows you to float more easily and you can maybe even teach more strongly in your opinion. Do you use your paras in any way for that? Do you give your paras a checklist? Do you do any form of assessment that way too, where you say to the para, hey, here's a checklist. I'm looking for this. Can you let me know? Yeah. So when we're doing throwing and catching activities, I would put the visual up on the board and then sometimes I'll just easy peasy give the para a, a post-it. And I will say, give me a plus if they did it, give me a minus if they didn't. And I've been meaning to actually get a whole sheet of cues or like ability to fill in what cues I'm looking for. And that might be a next step for me. But I utilize paras in that way a lot of times for problem solving and visual reminders and verbal reminders, things like that. With your paras, do you sit down with them at the beginning of the year? Do you do any kind of training with them? Or is it just... As they get to know you, you feel each other out. So I've had the same pairs for a while now. And usually at the beginning of the school year, I will just remind them like, hey, this is what we're looking for this for this student. If we're going into the pool, I like to do a quick like, remember how to use the lift. We're going to have everybody sit in this certain area, be safe. Like this is what I'm looking for for safety. Remember the safety protocol. When I have them in class, I feel like we're just moving all the time. And I like to, as we're moving, say, hey, just a reminder, do this. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of a flow person, go with the flow. So when things are happening, I'll just like walk by and be like, hey, can you just quickly make sure this kid does this station correctly? You know, I like to go with the flow with the pairs. And I feel like they have that respect 
and they deserve that respect too. They can really make or break a lesson. I mean, if you have good paras, I mean, you can, the things you can accomplish is yes. awesome. And I've realized with a lot of paras too, I've taken for granted that just because they see me do something that does not translate to them then necessarily understanding that that's exactly what I want. And so you have to figure out that communication style and say, Hey, this, this is what I'm looking for. And I want it done 10 times. And yeah. then once they get to know you, they, they kind of do that. So just because you're doing it, I would share that with teachers out there. If they're, if they're running into that, you've, you've mentioned it a few times and it's actually a program I'm really passionate about uh, in, in my own school, but you have a unified PE program and you post quite yep. a bit about it on Twitter. And I appreciate that. Why don't you just briefly walk people through how you select peers for that, what your ratio of peers to kids is because mine, we, we, it's not that true one-to-one ratio just because of some we, we just don't have the ability to do that right now. So we just do the right. best we can, you know, but we still, we ask kids if they'd like to be in a class with students and then we go from there, but it's not. Yeah. So I have more gen ed than I do students from my populations. But so why don't you walk everyone through that? Yeah. So for those of you who have never heard of Unified PE, Unified PE is a class of students with and without disabilities that come together and they have class together. Our teammates are students with disabilities partners are students without disabilities. And when I want them all together, I call them buddies because we don't need to label if we don't have to. When I am going about choosing my partners, I have a process at the high school where I check in with the counselors and I say, hey, these are the students, the the kind of hearts that I want coming into class because we want students that, that want to be there. We want students that have that heart for learning. Maybe they're going to go into education or some kind of serving area and we want to have the students that are empathetic towards our students without disabilities we've done it where they aren't and it doesn't turn out well so we've learned that that's what we have to do so i have a process set up with the counseling office and when kids look into their registration booklet it's been such a popular program that people are looking for it all the time and so we actually have to have the counselors kind of go through and just make sure everybody's where they're supposed to be. And so my unified PE class at the high school goes once per quarter. And so I keep all of my students with adapted PE services in there. They're all the same teammates, but we rotate the partners every quarter. I also do leadership curriculum with them so that they learn what an intellectual disability is, what autism is, cerebral palsy, traumatic brain injury. And then we learn about taking perception and perspectives that might be different than ours. And what does our community look like when it, when it comes to inclusion? We talk about inclusive leadership. We talk about advocacy and social justice in terms of people with disabilities and how we can use our voice for those that maybe aren't able to speak up as much because of the social, social justice gaps, right? So that's at the high school. At the middle school, I'm kind of like you, Chris, where I don't necessarily have the one-to-one all the time. Right now, I actually have two-to-one because so many kids wanted it this quarter. However, sometimes it really is like five students to 10 teammates that I'm working with. So it's a little bit different there. But the heart for it, man, if I could just tell you, and you've probably seen it at your school too, but we started off with like a unified club. And then I said, well, let's give this unified PE thing an opportunity to see what, see what happens. And now Chris, I don't, I don't know if I've shared this before, but we have unified PE, we have unified music, we have unified work-based learning, we have unified, did I say home living, like a cooking class? 
And then this next year, we have agricultural education as our science class for those kids. We've never had a class like that. And so it's really kind of a ripple effect that has really impacted inclusive culture at our school. It's a good deal. Here I am living in my PE bubble, loving what I'm doing. And I've never once, maybe a little bit embarrassed to admit this, but I've never once thought like, why couldn't you take this approach elsewhere? Not necessarily elsewhere in the school. Like we've had clubs, our ASB is really inclusive. I get that, but I'm saying like actual classes, like a science class or whatever it might be. That's that's really uh, interesting to, to listen to and, and learn about. You know, what I found is great about Unified PE on the teammate side, as what I think the term you used for our yep. uh, like our general ed population, like you said, trying not to, you know, bucket and bucket, you know, doing that. It's act- I've had so much success with the kids that are not your traditional lovers of phys ed. Yes, absolutely. They're the kids that maybe phys ed hasn't been a positive experience for them. But now yep. all of a sudden they're in a position where they do have some more skills than a lot of the class. And so they get this confidence and they enjoy helping and the connections you see made. And all of a sudden I have kids coming to me being like, I don't, I don't dread coming to this PE class or anything like that. We've had a, we've had a lot of success with that. And that's maybe been the most eye opening to me. You know, I went into it thinking like this kid's so nice and they like sports. Maybe they would like this and they do a nice job. Don't get me wrong, but it's these other kids who maybe aren't athletic or socially, they haven't found their spot yet. And they, They just, they butter, they bloom and they take off. It's really incredible. Absolutely. It's, it's the kids that maybe aren't athletic. They like helping people. They like putting their gifts to use, but it's not necessarily like running the fastest mile or lifting the heaviest weights. And I, I think you'll, you agree with this too, that the students who are the partners without disabilities get just as much out of the class as the students who do have disabilities. And it's definitely like a soul filling thing for everybody involved. It fills the soul of our teammates. They have friends outside of class. Our partners feel like they've helped and that they have a purpose and they take that outside of class. They start saying hi to kids in the hallway or sitting with them in the cafeteria. And for us as teachers, Chris, you felt this too. It probably lights you up because you see your kids being successful and you see them connecting to recreation leisure and it fills you up. It really does. The coolest thing for me this year, and we're just, my, I, I was at a middle school previously, and then I, I'm now just specifically at a high school, is when I, I'll give some group, the, the way I teach is I, I'm not a big command style teacher. So I will come up with something, let's say it's on a piece of paper, and I will hand it out to groups. And then I say, all right, run with it and go. And then I float, kind of like how you described your gifts. I'll float and step in and facilitate instruction. Um, but just that command style doesn't work for me, especially with the variety of learning styles with my own kids. But where I'm, what I'm going with this is that to see the groups of peers just grab my students in a positive way and be like, "Hey, you want to be in my group? Let's go!" You know, yeah. and, and those those are the interactions that it's just actually so much less about the PE. Don't get me wrong; we're still using PE. We're just using PE to bridge gaps, right? And and that's what's so exciting. We're still trying to build skills. We're still trying to do this. And I would say to anyone listening. You don't even have to be affiliated with Special Olympics. Like, it's just a really cool, if you have the right kids that you think can do it, and we're not, I'm not saying it's the only way to teach adaptive phys ed. I'm just saying I think there's a lot of some of those other ancillary benefits to it. Absolutely. I agree with you. 100%. Now, I've noticed you've been to- you've been posting lately about Shape America. I know you're going. Yep. Are, you pre- are you presenting this year? So, uh, being a National Teacher of the Year, we present with our Teacher of the Year cohort. So, if you are coming to Seattle, 
come and find our session. It's called Connect Four, and it'll be me, Sadie from Wisconsin, Katie from Baltimore, and Kasha from South Cal. And we are all presenting adaptive. Future guest on the podcast, by the way. Future guest. Yes, we talked about this. She's excited to come on too. So if you're coming to Seattle, we we present two in a row, like like one's at I want to say two fifteen, the next one's like at three fifteen. It's on Thursday. I know it's on Thursday. And this just shows how new I am at trying to host a podcast. That I didn't start off the show by announcing the fact that I had a national teacher of the year joining me today. So I apologize (laughs) for that. Your your work speaks for itself that I've seen. And so congratulations on that. I'm very excited to hear you'll be presenting. And so I apologize. I didn't start the show with that. That's okay. All right. We're going to move into, we're going to move into our fast five, which is just meant to be simple, simple, fun questions. Um, You can take as long or as you can answer as quickly or shortly as you want. It's fine. No rules. What is your favorite piece of equipment? My favorite piece of equipment. I'm going to go at each of the buildings. So at the middle school, I love, love, love using beanie babies as like throwing, catching, target practice. And all of us who were millennials thought we were going to get rich off of them. And now we aren't. And they're just rolling around in dust in the Fayette area. That's okay. At the high school, I truly enjoy my poly spots. I enjoy poly spots wherever I am. You're not the first person to say that, by the way. So like, you know, you are not the first. So that's a, that's a pretty popular (laughs) answer. Yep. And I love using yarn balls yarn balls are great too it's funny to hear you make a millennial joke that i just, now i'm getting to the to, to the end and i there was a comedian that had a special called elder millennial and i'm like that i feel like that for sure i feel like i'm like an old <laughs> millennial that doesn't quite connect but my, my my age puts me there so all right what's your favorite app you use when you're teaching when i'm teaching so i don't use a lot of apps but to prepare for teaching it's the IMG app, the, the GIF app that I was talking about. And I'm going to list that for people in the show notes too, so they can give it a shot if they would like. Perfect. To. What is your best teaching purchase under $100? Best teaching purchase under $100. Oh, there's this new game and I, I made a TikTok about it. It's called Benji Ball and it was not expensive. It's this brand new game that student, I want to say it's, it's not a student anymore. It's a young man who created a baseball game and it's basically like a bat it's a plastic bat like you would see like normal but it's flat and then there is a ball but it's not a ball it's like a multi-sided dice so when you hit the ball the dice you know goes flying like baseball you can play regular baseball rules but the outcomes are all on the dice and so it's got the walk single out home run single double triple home run like I said and Benji ball, which is a wild. So at the beginning of the game, you decide what the Benji ball is. And so what I love about Benji ball is that you can play it in a large group setting like baseball, or you could play with two people because it gives you the outcome. And so we've been enjoying that as like a station activity. And so Benji ball has been our new favorite. It's been great. Well, my brain just immediately started going, what a great activity for our kids that can't hit a ball far. Yeah. They could still hit a home run in theory, right? Even though they yep. can't necessarily hit it far. That that's 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 really cool. Next one. What is one thing in your teaching bag you just cannot live without? One thing in my teaching bag that I cannot live without polyspot. Yeah. Polyspot. It's that organization, polyspot. right? It's that organization. It's the organization. It's where am I standing? I had a student who 
learned how to be in the mainstream or in the mainstream or in the unified air, unified class with his name on the dot. That's how I got him into the setting. And wherever his name on the dot landed, that's where he was supposed to be. So there was one point where I was teaching him how to do dynamic warm-ups across the court. And he had his dot and he dragged that dot all the way across to the other side and back. But then I was able to take the poly spot away and he knew how to do it. So I would say poly spots for sure. And I recently came across like smaller poly spots that are actually easier to fit in my bag, but still serve exactly the same purpose you're talking about. So I would tell people awesome. to, and Amazon these days, people, you don't have to necessarily go through the expensive PE providers because I know shockingly poly spots are not as reasonable as you might think, but last one here. And this, you've given us a ton of great information, but if you were talking to another teacher, maybe a newer teacher, what is just some the best piece of advice you think you could offer them? I would say the best piece of advice that I would offer them is two things. Number one, you have what it takes. You are enough. Even though those, you're going to get thoughts in your head or people that tell you that you're not good enough to do this job and you might become overwhelmed but if you can know deep down that you are a good teacher that you're doing everything you can to teach your students then you can leave it there number two the advice that i would leave for new teachers is that you were made to be brave and i have to push myself to be brave every day and i've i've realized this that when we take even like the tiniest step into something that makes us anxious or nervous or something new when you look back you're like i grew as a human being right so what i've tried to teach my students is that if you can learn how to be brave you're you're going to work through a lot of things in your life that will help you grow as human beings. So there's this quote, I, I wrote it down and it's not exact, but I keep coming back to it. I wrote it down before the pandemic and I said something to the effect like press into the different chaotic, unique, crazy place that, uh, that you don't understand. And when you press into that space, to the place that you don't necessarily know, that's how you change the world. So when you press into the unique chaotic spaces, the place between what you know and what you don't, that's how you're going to change the world. And the world changes from the inside to the outside. So if I can teach my students and if I, if you as a new teacher can understand that you are made to be brave and that you're made to do this, that you are enough, then you're going to go places. So that's what I would leave them with. Some amazing advice. Now, where can people find you and where you share all of the incredible work you're doing? So I have a Twitter account. That's where we really, really connect and share ideas uh, at Jen Hebink on Twitter. And then I also created a TikTok because I truly, I've had this conversation with a few people, but I truly believe that our up and coming teachers are going to be more on TikTok before they get to Twitter. And so if we can connect to those kids, those up and coming students, those future professionals, because TikTok, as you've heard, like spreads like wildfire so much faster and we get our ideas out there so much more. Uh, I think it's important that we're on TikTok if we feel comfortable doing that too. So my TikTok is Mrs. Hebink Adapt, Mrs. Hebink Adapted PE at Mrs. Hebink Adapted PE. So Twitter and TikTok is where you can find me. And I'll I'll list all of those in the, in the show notes. And if anybody's new to listening to podcasts, the show notes are the in, that's the description below the show wherever you find the show. And I'll list all of Jen's information. Well, Jen, you did not disappoint whatsoever living up to that National Teacher of the Year award. 
giving incredible information. So thanks for joining the show today. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was good. Thank you so much for having me. I had a blast.